I invite you to turn to the third chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. Really, the verses are 16 through 22. I think it has 10, verse 10 in the bulletin, but it's actually verse 16, chapter 3. We all like stories that, that have just endings, that is, that come out fairly where there is justice. Not every story has a happy ending. Not everybody lives happily ever after. That's not really what we want or desire, but we, we do want. Uh, we do like stories that turn out where you know there's justice and fairness involved. Uh, you can tell the, the uh, depth of my reading by these next illustrations. For Humpty Dumpty, for example, yeah. it really doesn't upset us that he, he broke into a thousand pieces, although that, that, that is sad, and, he, and he, didn't get put, he didn't get put back together again. It didn't turn out with a happy ending, but we, we can accept that because, after all, everybody in the kingdom tried to get him put back together again, so he got a fair shake. I can remember reading as a kid hearing the story of Cinderella. Got all upset that this poor girl, you know, had to live with a step-grandmother and do all the dirty work. But it, you, you could just tell in the story it, that things are turning out right. And it's kind of balancing out. It's kind of like, you know, you go to the Saturday afternoon matinee when you were a kid and the settler's about to lose his land and over the, over the hill comes the Lone Ranger. You know, everybody claps and cheers, you know. Somebody's coming to the rescue. It's going to turn out okay. It's going to be fair. Now, we don't get upset when the, the, the chariot turns to a pumpkin at midnight because she had fair warning. What we wouldn't like is if one of those um, sleaze bags there, the stepsisters had, had got the silver slipper or whatever it was. Was it, was it silver or gold? Silver slipper. Glass. Now that'd be unfair. We don't mind a president uh, failing in office. I mean, everybody's human and everybody struggles and we know they're going to make mistakes. We just don't want them lying to us. And I suppose just not a week passes that somebody doesn't refer to Watergate and the consensus is it wouldn't have been such a bad deal if Mr. Nixon had just out front, up front, just admitted that he did wrong what we don't like is the fact that he tried to cover up. And we don't like it when celebrities win by cheating. And so Ben Johnson wins the 100-meter dash, and, and we find out he's been on steroids, so we strip him of his medal and send him home to Canada as a disgrace. And I read somewhere recently that he is absolutely looked down on as the, you know, the, uh, like he's got leprosy in his own country. We don't like it when it doesn't turn out fair. We want justice. Somebody said that, that suffering makes us sad, but injustice makes us mad. And that's what's happening in this passage that I want to read tonight. It is this man dealing with the injustice of life, and he has a problem with it. We need to get just by way of review again a little bit of what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. 
We know that the theme of this book is cynicism. It's the journal of a man who is seeking for some meaning to life under the sun. That is, he's looking for meaning in life apart from God. Some answers that do not include one's faith in God. The theme is cynicism. Everything is cynical. Nothing has meaning or definition. This book is just one big sad sigh. The perspective of the book is purely horizontal. These are human problems. These are human struggles. And he seeks human answers. And there is a pessimism that exists because the perspective is strictly horizontal. It's... Humanism is full in full control. And all observations and all conclusions are humanistic. I want you to underline some phrases in chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, and then verse 22. Underline four phrases. Verse 16, I have seen. Verse 17, I said to myself. In verses 18 and verse 22, I have seen. In other words, surrounding this passage is a humanistic perspective. You'll not find this author on his knees seeking answers from God. You'll find him on his feet. And you'll not find him looking up in prayer. You'll find him looking out for human answers. The perspective is humanistic. And the conclusions that are drawn are all humanistic. Now I want you to look at verse 16 with me because... Verse 16 is really the theme of this passage I'm going to read. It really sets the tone. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. Now what he's saying is this, that there's something about this, the way this old world is established that makes unfairness the norm. There's something about the way this world works so that there is injustice and unfairness. Not everyone takes his time at the traffic light. I, I, I wait my turn and I, I want everybody else to do that, but that's, that's not going to be the way it is. And the cry that comes every day is this, whoever said that this life is fair. There's something inherent in the way this world is constructed so that there is unfairness basically as the basic way or, of life. Now, there is a sense in every one of us in which we want things to turn out right. At least we want them to turn out fair. And there is something inside of us that presses for judicial justification, but it just isn't that way. This life just isn't fair. I want you to take your hand and I want you to move the pages and peek over. We're going, we're going to look at verse 9 of chapter 8. Look at that. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has ex exercised authority over another man to his hurt. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, this is the way the world is. There's not fairness. But the norm that exists in our world, it's pretty pessimistic, but it's true, is that 
that the tendency of the person in authority is to exercise that authority to someone's hurt. You feel that, don't you? You feel it when it happens in school and you feel like you don't get a fair deal and you feel it in your job because you deserve that promotion or that raise but you don't get it because the guy up the line from you doesn't, doesn't like you. And you see it in the courts. Now the, the real question now is, is not do you have a better case but do you have more money? So it seems like that it's not the one who has the best case but the one who has the most money to buy the best lawyer. And so Longfellow puts it in a poem that somehow got into a Christmas carol. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that was what Habakkuk was struggling with. We studied him back last summer. And he begins that great prophecy with this rebuke and this cry, Oh Lord, when are you going to make fairness the norm. When are you going to get justice? It's just not fair. We have all these evil people and they prosper and they, they make it hard on us and, and doesn't it matter that we're good and they're evil? When are you going to bring justice? And I looked in verse, at verse 16 in the Living Bible and I found this word. Moreover, I noticed that throughout the earth justice is giving way to crime even the police courts are corrupt. Living Bible, chapter 3, verse 16. Now the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, with that in mind, understanding that there is just something about the way this world works that makes unfairness and injustice the norm, comes to only one conclusion. There has to be, there, this has to be the conclusion. Verse 17. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. Now what he's saying is this. Now considering the fact that, that life isn't fair, I have to conclude that, that even though we're having a, you know, this is a hard time and these are difficult days, the books are not complete yet. And even though the chapter is completed, the book isn't. And, 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 and I have to believe that somehow God is doing a good job at categorizing people. And He's putting some in one category and another in another category. And somewhere, sometime, later on, God's going to draw the bottom line and justice is going to prevail. And He's going to judge both categories. Somehow i got to believe that. That injustice that exists in our day is just temporarily uh, true, just a temporary thing. And, and one of these days, God's going to do a good job of balancing it all out because He's categorizing people. He's got the just here and He's got the unjust there. That's the conclusion it comes to. Now I want you to fasten your seat belts because we're going to move into to, to, to humanistic city, heresy city. I want to read verses 18 through 21. And I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. So it doesn't, it's not any advantage to you to be a human being. 
That reeks with despair. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath. And there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. And all go to the same place. All came from the dust, and all returned to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward, and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth? Now, let me see if I can put this in language that, that we can understand. I, I think of what, he, what he's saying is this, that if you press this unjust mentality far enough, that if you focus attention on the injustice that exists in the world, you better be careful because God might intervene before eternity and when God intervenes, God might bring justice. You might not want justice after all. Now, everybody likes to talk about, you know, I just want, you know, justice. That's the last thing I want. It just might be that if you press this far enough, God breaks through in human history and He brings justice before eternity takes place. And what He's saying is this, that, that just because you're a human being and just because you're righteous doesn't mean you're going to get special consideration just because you do good. Now before I try to give some answers, I don't have any answers to the problem of injustice, but I do have some light on the problem, and, this is, and it's this. That when you live in a world like you and I live in, a world apart from God, and that is the kind of world we live in, for the philosophy that pervades our time is not a religious philosophy. It's a humanistic philosophy. And we seek humanistic answers. Um, you suppose we'll ever live in a time when we have uh, men running for president of the United States and somebody asks one of them, what would you do when you got to be president of the United States? What decision would you make? You'd ever hear somebody say, well, I'd have to ask God what he wanted me to do. They'd laugh him out of the country. Um, I'd, you know... If, if I became president of the United States, I'd get my, I'd, I'd get my direction from the Word of God. I'd find, my, uh, I'd find the solutions to the problem on my knees. I'd seek God's answers. I, I, would, I would try to lead this country to a theocracy. You, you, you imagine anybody would ever succeed with that kind of a platform? Um, we do live in a world where um, humanism reigns supreme. And when you live in a world with that kind of a philosophy, you're going to have injustice. And when you live in a world that, that, that operates apart from God, we become beast-like. It is true. It is relevant. We become beast-like in nature, and we, come, we become beast-like in attitude and beast-like in action. And you say, well, that's pretty gloom and doom. If you don't believe that, you take time to look over the homicide record and see if you don't believe that. And you go out here and you talk to some of these people that work in the uh, Department of Human Services, you spend a little time with them and listen to them talk about the brutality that goes on in many of the homes in Bryan County. You, you see if that's not true. And you be honest with yourself and you call to mind some of the beast-like lusts that are in you 
And you consider the weapon system that we have developed in our nation to destroy and annihilate other nations so that the, that no, the one who wins the war is not the one with the biggest arsenal. It's a matter of who can pull the trigger first. For when you live uh, in a world apart from God, you become beast-like in nature and beast-like in attitude and beast-like in action. Why should we be surprised that there is injustice in our time? Now the real issue, I think, is not is there injustice. The real issue is this. How do I deal with injustice? That's the question. How do I deal with this paralysis that's left me in a wheelchair for the rest of my life? How do I deal with the fact that somebody moved in in my business, my partner ripped me off and, and ruined me? How do I deal with that? I mean, she left and, and, and broke my heart. What am, how, how am I to deal with that injustice? Or he, he left me with all these children to raise. Now I have to work two jobs and my kids don't have the, you know, good clothes and in a nice home like their, their, their friends at school. How do I deal with that kind of injustice? That, that's the issue. The issue is not is there injustice and why is there injustice. The issue is how am I going to deal with the injustice that exists in life. Now I believe that verse 22 is a God-given philosophy of how to deal with injustice. Now read that with me. And I have seen that nothing is better than that a man should be happy in his activities. For that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? I believe that that is a God-given philosophy of, for dealing with injustice. Now what conclusion should I draw when injustice comes? Do I try to understand it? You can understand it. Should I, uh, should I compare the injustice that I experience with someone else who has a rougher time and try to convince myself that I'm better off than he? Not, no. Should I retaliate? I mean, I've been done wrong. I'll just get back. Do I do that? No. Do I, do I get myself into a kind of a fantasy world and practice positive thinking and kind of get in this positive thinking bubble? That's the... That seems to be the popular approach now. Learn how to think positive. That, that's not it. What he's saying is this. The first thing I'm going to do when I encounter injustice is this. I'm going to reject self-pity. I'm going to reject revenge. I'm going to reject resentment. I'm going to reject retaliation as an option. First off, up front. Self-pity is not an option for me. I'm not going to give latitude to that. Revenge, retaliation is not an option with me. Resentment, I'm not going to allow myself resentment. That's the negative. When injustice comes, this is the positive. I'm going to find ways to discover advantages in my disadvantages. That's what he's talking about, verse 22. I'm going to find ways to discover advantages in my disadvantages. I can't change my lot, but I can change my reaction to it. My past is going to remain and I can't erase it, but I'm going to learn 
to see life from God's perspective. And I'm going to use the disadvantages of yesterday for my life today. I'm going to discover advantages in my disadvantages. Now, to help me do that, I'm going to ask three questions, and that's at the bottom of your page, and I want you to get these. Three questions. Question number one. What is your unjust disadvantage? You need to identify it. What is your unjust disadvantage? I'm not talking about the little petty things, petty irritations that happened to you last week. What is your unjust disadvantage? You need to identify that and write it out. If you can't write it out, you don't, you know, you haven't identified it. Second question, here's a big one. When do you plan, it's not if do, do you plan, it's when do you plan to replace passive self-pity with active courage? When do you plan to replace active, passive self-pity with active courage? When are you going to do that? Somebody told me not long ago about hearing a tape by, uh, of a man named Tom Sullivan. He spoke at the Million Dollar Roundtable, this group of uh, um, successful insurance underwriters convention, because Tom Sullivan is himself successful. He's been on Good Morning America several times. He was uh, a... a lesser known character in the uh, famous television serial MASH. He holds two collegiate wrestling records. He has a degree from Harvard in clinical psychology. He runs six miles every day and as a hobby he skydives. Also, oh by the way, he's blind. Forgot to mention that. Guy's blind. Um, he's written a book called If You See What I Hear. If You See What I Hear. This is what he says. I got a disadvantage and I take advantage of it. For he, he said, people don't buy similarities. People buy differences. It's the difference that makes the difference. He said, I didn't even know I was blind until I was eight years old. That says a lot about the way his family, his, his parents raised him. He said, I didn't even know I was blind until I was eight. He said, one day I was outside playing around. He said, I heard some fr my friends out playing baseball, you know, yelling. And, and, and I heard the crack of the bat. He said, first time I really realized I was blind. Said, I want to play baseball. He became a pitcher. He took a transistor radio and set it on a tree stump. And he learned to throw a baseball and knock that transistor radio off a of, off of tree stump. He said, I had to give up baseball because I destroyed too many transistor radios. Had to take up wrestling. He said, why, I wouldn't even have an audience if I weren't blind. And he said, when you guys run, he said, all you do is see. He said, when I run, I smell. He said, I can smell women's perfume. And he says, I smell the, the odor of bacon coming out of the windows, you know, when I run. He said, and I hear sometimes, he said, when I'm running, I can hear 
I count as many as 50 different kinds of birds. He said, when I discovered that I was blind, I determined that I'd be the best blind person I could be. Now, it's time some of you hear that, who wallow all the time in self-pity. Every time I see dear John Allen Phillips going down the street, it reminds me of a person who has exchanged, he probably never had self-pity, but has active courage. It's time some of us who wallowed in self-pity hear this. When are you going to exchange your passive self-pity for active courage? Third question. Have you considered what your advantage what, what your advantages would have on the world around you if you could get out of your disadvantages? Have you considered what, your adva what advantage you would have on the world around you if you could get out of your disadvantages? Have you considered what an advantage you would have if you've been ripped off by somebody? If you could get out of that disadvantage? Can you imagine the impact, your advantage, the advantage of your life would, would have on this world if you could just get out of the disadvantage? If you could somehow discover ways to use your disadvantages for advantages? Now, what, is, what, what Solomon confronts in the passage in Ecclesiastes is this. The way this world works is you're going to get a raw deal. Somewhere down the line, I mean, let's face it up front, you're going to get a, a bad deal. That's just it. The question is, what are you going to do about that disadvantage? When are you going to start? Let's pray together. Father, help us to see that there is a purpose for everything under heaven, a purpose for everything in the plan of life, and that the injustices that come, the disadvantages that come, the bad breaks that we get, whatever we call them, are there as opportunities. When we're willing to climb out of our pits of self-pity, and begin to be the best handicapped person we can be. Lord, touch our hearts tonight concerning the decision you'd have us make, whatever it is, we pray in Jesus' name. There are three kinds of invitations. I don't know what your need is tonight, but let me give you the invitations. An opportunity for you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, to be a child of God. That privilege is yours. God offers you a gift, and that gift is, is eternal life. You've got to receive it. By faith, you take it. Perhaps you need to come tonight and place your life in the church. The more I read the book of Ephesians, and the more I try to teach it on the Sunday morning, the more I'm convinced that it is in the church where God desires to get His glory. And it is in the local church where men see the Lord manifested. Maybe you need to come place your life in the church. 
Or perhaps you need to come tonight to make a decision of the rededication of your life, the recommitment of your life to Christ. The opportunity is for you to decide to do what God wants you to do. Always stand to sing. Would you come?